is that building over there? Is it a vine? What are y'all doing there? Y'all got grapes? <laughs> What's a vineyard? Yeah. I hear that once a month, at least. Yeah. We're a vineyard. Let me just adjust the equipment. There we go. These things are a little annoying. Um, welcome to the vineyard. My name is Adam. Uh, I'm Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here of this here vineyard. And um, sometimes they let me play guitar, and that's really great. Um, but I'm really glad you guys are here, especially all the new faces. Seems like all of our regular faces went on vacation this week. We're like in Charlotte and Aruba or something like that. But, but for the people who are here, God's going to do something for you, you know. And for the people who missed, they just missed out. And we'll not give it to them later. <laughs> if you want to, open up your Bibles to, uh, to 1 Corinthians. We're going to continue on a conversation that, that I started uh, a little over a month ago. This is week three. We took that break there in the middle because we were at the lake. And um, I want to continue on with, uh, with a series that I'm just calling uh, Real Church. What's Real Church all about? And... Um, what is real church all about? This is our, um, our theme, um, our theme scripture for the past three or four weeks. We're probably going to continue in another week past this at least, maybe more. But it's this little thing I've gotten from the Holy Spirit. It's from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. This is in the middle of Paul's argument about how church ought to look like. And it's just a throwaway phrase. It's, it's something that most people, most people you know, just read right on past you know, because we want to get to the good stuff. And when you do that and you miss a real treasure in the scriptures... And this is what Paul writes. He says, What shall we say then, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And all of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. And, you know, I've talked about it a couple weeks um, in a row, but I want to I hit it again for some of the news people and to, as a way of review. Um, what is church about? Church is about this scripture. In my mind, this scripture encapsulates a, a picture of what church is all about. There's lots of pictures that, are, that, that people contain... Uh, or that people have lots of concepts that people have about what church is like. But this is, this is, to me, like the essence of the New Testament church. Church is the place that when we come together, everyone gives something. Paul says everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. And what Paul's not doing here, Paul is not saying these are the five things you've got to do to do church. He's not giving a systematic theology, a step-by-step -step process First someone has a hymn, then someone a word of instruction, then a revelation, then an, a tongue, and then an interpretation. Once you've done those four or five things in that order, then you've had church. He's not saying that at all. What he's saying is he's just, he's riffing, kind of like a guitar player, just starts to jam around. He's just riffing here, and he, he's riffing, and what he's getting across is this, that when we come together, everyone has something to bring. Everyone who's met the Lord Jesus has something to bring. And that's where we're really at. You know, a lot of us have have grown up with concepts of church that go something like this. Uh, you know, church, uh, church is a sanctuary. It's, it's a place where we escape the bad world, you know. And that's just really not what church is. There's, there's some truth in that picture, but it's not the whole truth. You know, there, there are some people who, who, have, who, who, who come to church and they, and they cozy down in the purple seat and they think, well, you know, church is the hospital. It's the place for broken people. I'm a broken person. I've got all this stuff in my life. I'm really messed up. And that's sort of true, but like from a New Testament perspective, Church is the place where we've encountered Jesus, and when we come together, we release upon one another what we've encountered in the Lord Jesus. Does that make sense? Um, 
by way of review, I want to I hit again something we, we brought up last week. It's something I call kingdom breathing. This concept of, 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 of church is the place that we come to give. It, it's, it's kingdom breathing. In, in, Ma- in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus is looking at his disciples and he says, Guys, freely you've received, now freely give. You see, everyone, when we, you know, some of us within this mindset of you know, church is the place that we come together to give, within that, some of us might become intimidated right away and think, well, you know, I have nothing to give. I'm the broken guy, you know? But here's the deal. If you've met the Lord Jesus, you've received something. He looks at his disciples 2,000 years ago, and he says, guys, freely you've received, now freely go and give. And here's the deal. Every, every, every person who says that Jesus is the Lord of my life, Jesus is the boss of my life, everyone who's exchanged Christ's righteousness for my sinfulness, everyone who's put their trust in the fact that Jesus satisfies the wrath of God for me, everyone who's made that exchange with Jesus, they didn't just get something taken away, they received something from him. When Jesus looks at his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, and he says, guys, freely you've received, now freely give, he's actually looking through history and time, and he's looking at you, and he's saying, freely you've received, dude, in the purple chair, freely you've received, now freely go and give. Everyone who's met Jesus, everyone who's submitted to his lordship has received something from him. And so it's kingdom breathing. We receive something, we get around the Lord, we breathe it in, and, and we're called to exhale. And so one of the things that's supposed to happen is when we get together, there should be lots of people exhaling. And we've got this mantra that I want to start around the vineyard. It goes like this. Uh, everyone say it with me. Look at someone next to you and humor me. Tell them, I need you. You need me. I came here to rock you. That's what church is about. I know you thought that church was the place where you go and you get bored out of your skull. I know that's what you thought. I know that most of us have grown up where, where church is the place where like it's super lame. It's just super lame. And like it's like one lame dude after another getting up and saying lame things. I know we've lived with that. But that's really not what it's about. Church is, I need you. I need you. You, need, you actually need me, and I came here to rock you. And here's the deal. You're not going to make it without me, because look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. What's Paul saying? He's saying, if people don't come with a heart to give, the church stays weak. That's what he's saying. Some of y'all don't like the church. What's well, your fault? You didn't come and give anything. You know, church is lame. It won't run. Well, it's your fault, you know. I'm, being, I'm joking a little bit. Just, I'm just, no guilt. The, the, the F word doesn't happen in this house. The F word is fault. Yeah, some of you guys are embarrassed. I'm really not. Yeah, and so uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning. It's almost one of those passages, it's almost like too sacred to touch, but we've just got to get our hands on it. Um, and before, uh, before we get there, just want to quickly review where we've been. We've, we've, been, we've jumped out of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, and we spent the first week looking at the beginning of chapter 12. We looked at those first 11 verses, and when we looked at those first 11 verses, the thing that the Holy Spirit wanted to communicate to us was this, is that everyone who's been around Jesus got something. You know, if you're here this morning and Jesus is the boss of your life, you know, you're not empty. You might feel empty, you're not empty. There's something God imparted to you. And when Paul is talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
when he's talking, it's the introduction to um, spiritual gifts, his little word of correction for the Corinthian church about spiritual gifts. And one of the things that we looked at that week was this, that the word for gifts is the, is the Greek word charisma. And, and the root of that Greek word charisma is the Greek word charis, which is grace. And so what we, what, one of the things we looked at the first week was this, that the grace of God, the grace of God is the foundation for gifts of the Spirit. It's the same, the same grace of God that washed you clean, that made you righteous, the same grace of God that, that took you out of darkness and placed you into His marvelous light, the same grace of God that, that cleansed your conscience before God. It didn't just save your soul. It didn't just save your spirit. It didn't just take something away, but that same grace of God poured something back in. And it poured in spiritual gifts, and it's a diversity of spiritual gifts. And that's what we looked at last week. At the second part of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 all the way down to like 26, we looked at the fact that we're a body. And, the fact, and, the, and, and when I talk about that we're a body, um, you know, a lot of times we, we talk about Jesus' body and we talk about you know, unity and we talk about it in a, in a manner uh, that, 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 that sets out you know, this concept of body and unity. We talk about it in such a way that it's a goal to be attained. It's not a goal to be attained, it's a reality to be lived from. And, and so that's what we were talking about last week. You know, the body, look around. You know, you might, you, you may not feel like a body. You might feel like you're on the outside here. You may have been here for six months, and you might still feel like a stranger. And the truth of the matter is, you're in. You may not feel like you're in, but you're in. And some of you have been around here for a long time, and you think, well, I'm not in, but you're actually in, because you're in the body of Jesus. When you submitted yourself to him, the Holy Spirit baptized you into his body and gave you his spirit to drink, and it's the one thing that holds us all together. It's a diversity of members, it's it's a body and it's a unity based upon diversity, not upon uh, not upon everybody doing the same thing. And so, that's just a good word, you know. Thanks, Jesus. We don't all have to be the same. Thanks, Lord. And so it gets us to where we're at this morning. I want to I want to read a little scripture to you guys, and then we'll we'll talk. Actually, I'm not in the talking mode this morning. I'm like in preaching mode, and I don't know if I can get out of it. So it's like undo the button, Adam. Calm down. First Corinthians chapter 13. Um, yeah, let's read like the first three verses together. <clears throat> if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love... I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and I surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, then I gain nothing. Why don't we do this? I just feel like we need to pray for a second. Is that all right? Because here's the deal. Like, this is one of those pieces of Scripture it's like super familiar to us. It's, it's familiar to people who don't even know God. Like, you know, godless pagans know this scripture because they've heard it at weddings and, you know. And so, so for, you know, it's just one of those things that kind of gets crystallized and turned into stained glass just through use and reuse. And, and so some of the impact that's really in here gets lost. And I just feel like we need to tune our hearts, but that's all right. So uh, let's just uh, find the Lord here for a second. Father, we love you. And we ask that you bring your great big hammer into the room. And that you would uh, beat stained glass up and that you would crush it. And Father, we ask that um, all of our notions for what this little piece of scripture means, God, we ask that you, would, that you would soften our heart, God, and you would allow us to have fresh perspective this morning. God, would you, give us, would you give us ears to hear what it is that you're actually saying? Father, would you, uh, would you 
would you show us that this is not just about uh, somebody else at someplace else, but it's actually about us right here, right now. Father, would you, would you deliver us from more knowledge? God, would you for, deliver us from more spiritual facts? God, would you deliver us from a spirit of Bible trivia? And would you uh, baptize us in encounter with you? <sighs> Thanks, Jesus. Thanks, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Jesus. Yeah, it's like I said, this is one of those scriptures. It's like, um, it's, it's, it's stained glass. It's on golden plaques. It's probably on a doily at your grandma's house. And um, so we just need like fresh perspective. One of the other things that kind of happens with this scripture is, is that a lot of the attitudes, especially with this, these three little paragraphs, we may only look at two this morning, but maybe we'll get to three. But one of the attitudes that kind of surrounds these three paragraphs is this is that somehow Paul's chugging right along writing a letter to the Corinthians but for so, for whatever reason there's this little attitude about 1 Corinthians 13 like it's barely even Paul it's like you know one day a golden zipper in, in, in the in the sky was opened and three golden paragraphs fell out of out of heaven and you know it was like it kind of happened that way but not exactly and, and so there's, you know, for some of us, there might be this concept that, well, it doesn't really stick with everything else, and it's actually just an extension of everything that he was already talking about. And so um, our, our process uh, for the last couple of weeks has been like this. Um, it's been like this. It's that church is the place that we come to give. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, we find out that everyone who's a follower of Jesus is graced and gifted. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Verses 12 through 26, we find out that we're graced and we're gifted and we're gifted in diverse ways because we're a body. And, um, and then there at the end of that the scripture, it, it talks about the fact that we're, and as a body, that we should have equal concern for one another. So by the time we get to, to chapter 13 here, Paul's getting down to brass tacks and he's really, he's really beginning to open up what it means to have concern for one another. We, we kind of nailed on that a little bit uh, last week, but I really want to want to open that up and talk about this morning what it means what it means to have concern for one another and and and, and really these are the two questions I want to ask everybody in the room and so we got to hold these hold these things in our in our minds and in our hearts while we uh, while we approach the word of God this morning we have to ask ourselves this what is my motivation and what is the source that I draw from as a person who comes to church and wants to be a giver as a person who wants to follow in Jesus's footsteps and do it like he did it as, as a person who wants to not just have right answers, as a person who wants to be the right answer, and as a person who wants to demonstrate right answers, as a person who wants to encounter broken things and leave them fixed, as a person who wants to come to culture and be a culture changer, what is, what is the, the two questions we have to keep in our heart right now, because this is really what Paul's wanting to get to is, wh what is, what is the, my source? What is it that I'm drawing from? And what are my motivations? Amen? <clears throat> so if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but I don't have love I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal and if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have faith that can move mountains but I don't have love I, gain, I am nothing and if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love I gain nothing so what's the point? the point is this that all, all Christian ministry all all. All, everything that we do when we come together, uh, every part of our heart that desires to be a giver and not just a taker, that thing, you know, 
Every, every part of us that wants to partner with Jesus to see cultures changed, every part of us that wants to be the solution and not just another part of the problem, that part of us, what Paul is saying is this, that part of us that wants to be a giver, unless it's married to love, it's worthless. It's, it's like this, it's like this. You can get the answer right and still have the answer wrong. And that shouldn't be something that, that strikes fear into us, but it serves us this one purpose, and it's to focus our attention on what is it that is my motivation and what is the source. The Corinthian church was a church that kind of liked spiritual gifts, and they really liked the gift of tongues, and they had, they had done the math kind of like this. They had eventually gotten to the point where, where the spiritual math went like this. Speaking in tongues equals spirituality. So, like, if you're going to be a spiritual person, then you have to be a person who speaks in tongues. And, and even got to the point where, like, a meeting, like we're gathered here today, where most of the meeting would have been somebody getting up and giving a message in tongues and sitting down well, pretty much with no interpretation. People are like, what's going on? And, that, you know, you can imagine the chaos that would ensue. New people, new believers would come in and be like, these guys are nuts. What is going on? And, and, and so there was this, there was just this, this culture that had, had grown in their church, and, and, and the culture did the math like this. Spirituality equals speaking in tongues. Is speaking in tongues wrong? No, definitely not. Is it good? Actually, it's quite beneficial. I recommend that everyone in here be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. You'll be a happier person at the end of the day. But... It doesn't matter what we come to give. Apart from being married to love, it's really, it's really annoying is what Paul says. He says it's like, it's like clanging cymbals and resounding gongs. And, and uh, there are some Bible scholars who, who feel like Paul is actually giving, a, 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 he's, he's hinting at the fact uh, that the Corinthians' past was a pagan culture. And in pagan culture at that time, they would come to these pagan temples and, and a lot of the pagan worship had resounding gongs and cymbals. And, and anybody, you, you watch Discovery Channel, right? You know, you, know, you, you see the... You see the monks, and they go to the, the temple, and, you know, they chant something, and then there's gong, gong, you know. And so there's, there's, there's some Bible scholars who feel like Paul is, is reminding them again of their own pagan past, and he's, and he's basically saying this. Hey, without the spirit of love married to what you guys are doing, it's like pagan gongs, dude. It's like, so what, you know? So what, you say, you know, Jesus, unless there's a spirit of love married to it, it's like clanging cymbals, pagan gongs. You're barely better off than you were before. Have, has anyone in here ever heard a clanging cymbal? You might be wondering why this is over here. This is what it's like, okay? This is what spiritual gifts apart from love. This is what it's like to want to help somebody apart from love. This is what it's like to want to give apart from love. It's like, I just really like you. You're great. I came here to help you. I came here to help you. You won't let me help you. Was that loud? Yeah, see, that can be an object lesson for the rest of your life. That's really what he's getting at. He's saying any kind of ministry that grows from anything other than love, it's that. It's this annoying, distracting, God-awful, room-killing device. Stop it. Here's the deal. Most people are so freaked out about tongues, everyone would be like, yeah, sure, dude, that's so true. It's like, don't do it, you know? 
Yeah, even, even if you're doing it in love, it's kind of like that. Don't do, you know. You know, most people in the church are so flipped out about it. But verse 2 is the one that flips me out, especially. It's like, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries on all knowledge and have a faith that can move mountains, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. And here's the deal. Imagine you're the person who has a gift of prophecy that's so amazing that you, that you, that you literally embody all knowledge and all mysteries. There is no mystery that's a mystery to you. It's a mystery to everyone else in the room. You come in, no longer a mystery. Imagine that you're gifted in that way. That'd be pretty incredible, wouldn't it? It'd be pretty useful, wouldn't it? I mean, like, just in the natural, let's just do the math. Play the game with me for a minute. You'd be a useful person, right? Imagine that you're the person who, who comes into the room, all mysteries. And I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. I have a feeling that word all means all. I mean, like, all kinds of mysteries, uh, dreams. People have a dream. They don't know what it is. Just, well, just invite this dude over. He's got all mysteries. Uh, you know, even scientific breakthrough. Everything that's, that's a hurdle and a hindrance to everyone else, you come in, you just, you just, you just bring the solution. Imagine, wouldn't that be good? That'd be pretty awesome. Except if it's not married to love, then it's just, it's useless. And I love what Paul says. It actually, he's actually, I think, highlighting uh, one of the traps of being a person who, who pursues prophecy without love. There at the very end, that last little line, he says, I am nothing. See, here's the deal. Pursuing prophetic gifts, really honestly pursuing any gift, but pursuing ministry apart from love, it, it opens the door wide to us. It opens the door wide to us for us to become the kind of person, to be, that become the kind of person where we believe that we're something when in fact we're nothing. See, that's the problem. Prophecy, any kind of gift apart from love, it, 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 it opens up the door it opens the door wide open for us to feel like that we're something, yet we're nothing. What does Paul say earlier in the book? He says, knowledge puffs up, but what? Love builds up. See, apart from being married to love, we, we just invite deception into the room. And we invite deception into our own heart. And then the second part, he says, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, and he's talking about having the kind of faith that doesn't just like get you into the kingdom, but having the kind of faith that, that can see any possibility just move. When that, I, I'm, I want that, you know. It's like, God, I, I need that. I mean, I know people in my life who are jacked up, and I need, I need more faith that they can change and that you can do something with them. And, um, but apart from being married to love, it's, it's, it literally, you, you end up with nothing. And um, I'm reminded of, of something that uh, Charles Spurgeon, he's one of those great old-time preachers. This is what he said about this very verse. He says, the person who has the faith that can move mountains apart from love is the person who would pick the mountain up and probably drop it on someone else. I think that's a pretty good picture, you know? Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor and I surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I gain nothing. And there's that last little phrase that Paul throws out there. I gain nothing. There's, uh, there, there's, um, there's the deception in, in being the kind of person who gives to the poor and surrenders their body to the flames, even martyrdom, apart from love. There's, this, uh, there's, a, there's a deception that can involve. When we divorce ourselves from love in any kind of ministry, we can, we can assume that we're getting something when in fact we're getting nothing. And, um, you would think that if you were the kind of person who gives all they possess to the poor, you would think, well, quite naturally, that w- there would be love involved, right? You would think. Um, I, I'm, I'm reminded uh, this week, you know, a lot of us, we, we live in an advertising culture, we live in a culture where big corporations are always doing big things. And uh, think of it this way. Uh, anybody ever, ever been to an event that was sponsored like by a, like a big corporation and 
you know, the big corporation is going to give to the poor and we're going to do this thing. And, you know, does the big corporation really care about the poor? Well, maybe, but what else do they care about? They care about the marketing benefits that come from that, that, come from that scenario. So what I, I realize that's a, that, that it's a, um, that's an example that's removed from us a little bit, but it, but it serves to give us a picture of what happens in our own heart. We can, you can actually be the corporation that gives to the poor, that puts on a good show, but really all you're interested in at the end of the day is the good PR, the good marketing, the, good, the, the feel good. You know, we can get our image out there. We can put our label. We can put our banner behind this thing. You know, it's, it, you know if Coke can do it, I promise you, it can happen in the, ho- in the human heart, you know? And um, gosh, it's happened to me. So everything we do has to be married to love. Love must be the motivation and the fountain from which all of our giving and ministry flow. And here's why. Here's why. And it's, uh, it's, it's found actually for me in, in the most famous Bible verse. It's John 3.16. It says, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You know, why, why, is, it that God, why is it that God's a giver? You know, have you ever asked yourself that question? Why, why is it that God is a giver? You know, why is it that God sent his son? Why is it that the father sent the son Jesus to the planet? Is it because, you know, is it because the father needed like better PR? You know, was, was he having a PR crisis and he needed to just like, you know, did, did the father send the son out of duty? Did he do it just because it's like, well, I've just got to, my hands are tied, I have to. Did he do it? No, that wasn't his motivation at all. The Father sent the Son to the planet because He liked the planet. Like, He likes people, but He liked the planet. He liked everything that He made. And so it was from a place of love that He gives. And so, you know, 1 Corinthians 14, 26, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm shooting for here. It's what I feel like the Lord wants to do with us. He wants us to be the kind of culture that when we get together, whether it's in the Purple Room or whether it's at Garcia's or whether we're just hanging out with one another at home, you know, and watching Monday night football, no matter what the scenario is, when the people of God gather, I, I'm, I'm hoping that we become the kind of culture where we, where we get together to, to benefit one another and to serve one another. And, and, and where is it that the heart of that comes from? It comes from the fact that God gave his own son to us. It's that all giving comes from a place of love. God gave his son to us because he, because he loved us. He gave because he loved and it's, and it's not just his son, Jesus. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 says this, For in Christ Jesus there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. See, it's not just about gifts of ministry. It's not just about the sun showing up on the planet. It's that faith, faith apart from love is nothing. And it's not just faith, but it's truth as well. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, it says this, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow all things up into him who is the head, that is Christ. See, the truth can't even be divorced from love. If you divorce the truth from love, it's not the truth anymore. A wise man once told me, he says, for it to be truth, it has to be spoken in love. And for it to be love, it has to be the truth. You can't divide them. And why is it that I'm pounding on this so much? I'm pounding on this because there's, there's a bigger kingdom picture here. And the kingdom picture here is 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Why is it that we want to be givers who give from a place of love? Why is it that we want our ministry? Why is it that we want, 
Why is it that we want to be people who are activated by love? Because God is love. And so if we miss, if we miss something, something essential as love, we end up missing the Lord. I can't believe it. It's one of those scriptures that's so hard sometimes. It's, but John, he writes, he says, whoever does not love does not even know God. That's, that's, I mean, it sounds pretty, but then when you begin to meditate on it, it becomes really hardcore. Especially when you let it roll around in your stony hard heart like I have. Perhaps you don't have a stony hard heart. Perhaps yours is soft and malleable. But mine is stony and hard. And you let this one roll around and you realize, holy smokes, I've got a lot, I've got a lot of places that need the Lord still. Whoever does not love does not even know God. I'd also like to say this, that, that, we're, that we're called to be a, a place of giving and we're called to be a place that gives from love. And, um, and, and the reason that we're called to be a place that gives from love is because our Father has given to us in love and because God is love and because we're children that are born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but we're born of God. See, here's the deal. When you and I exited the womb of heaven, see, you were just living one day. You were living life. It was 75 degrees and sunny. Some of you guys were at home playing Wii with your brother. You know, others were at the Taco Bell. And at some point in life, you met the Lord, and the, and the womb of heaven was opened up, and you, you slid through. And when you slid through, you became something different. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, you became a new creation. And it's not a metaphorical creation, it's an actual creation. And when you slid through the womb of heaven, you became a new creation, and the new creation that you became is a creature that found its source in love. We're creatures who found our source in love. Our Father is, is love. And so for us to, to minister outside of anything other than, other than love is to, is to at, some, at some level, deny the truest part of our own identity in the Spirit. Why am I pounding on this so hard? I'm pounding this on this so hard because I'll just be really honest. Can we have family time for a minute? All right, cool. No one said yes, but we're going to have family time. Uh, I want to have family time here for a second because of this. Like, of all the churches in the New Testament, this little church is most like the First Corinthians church. We're like the jacked up church, okay? Like, maybe one day we'll be the Philippians, but right now we're just the Corinthians, okay? Like, we're, we're, pressing, for, we're pressing for the power of God to be released. We're, you know, we're pressing for all these things, but at the end of the day, we're like, we're a bunch of broken, we're just a bunch of broken drunks who barely know God and are doing our best. You know what I'm saying? And, um, but we're pressing, we're pressing to be, we're pressing to live from the Spirit, and, we, and we've seen God do dramatically unbelievable things here. I don't have to go through the list. There, the, the Lord just, it, He shows up in power almost every week with somebody in our church and heals the sick cleanses the lepers, casts out devils, and one day we'll you know, probably raise the dead too. That's my expectation. And because we have this kind of culture here that's beginning to form, it concerns me, or let me put it this way, I, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more and more deeply attuned to the fact that we have to be a people who don't just grow in hunger for the power of God. We have to be people who grow in hunger and live from our true identity in the Spirit, which is love. 
And so, um, you know, family time. We're still in family time here. If you're new here this morning, this really doesn't apply to you. So, but, um, but family time, um, since we're still in that mode, you know, here's the deal. I think, I think in town, the vineyard's known for a lot of things. I think, I think we're known for worship. I, I think our band is like ready to go on the road. Um, they barely practice and they're incredible, you know. And, um, you know, I think, I think there's at some level the vineyard is known for like music, maybe writing some tunes. I think the vineyard is, uh, you know, at some level in our town known for at least wanting to heal the sick. And, and, you know, in some circles, they know that we, you know, we've had some success and they've healed the sick and some people even bring the sick to us. And that's sweet and I consider it a treasure and an honor. I also think that, you know, at some level, the vineyard has just kind of a, a crazy reputation around town. And I'm cool with that. I'm, I actually wear it as a badge of honor. It's great, you know. <laughs> We're just not the safest place in town to show up. Um, but one of the things that, that really has been, challenged, uh, been challenging me is this. I just feel like the Holy Spirit says, Adam, you guys are known for all these things. You're known for, like, maybe some worship. You're known for trying to partner with me in the power of God. But right now, you're just really not known for love. And um, that just can't be who we are because that's not who we are really in the Spirit. If you can hear that, family time, everybody can hear that in the family. If you're new here, that does not for you. But I'm just saying that as we, as we endeavor to be people who, who know God and who, and who try to be like his son, we have to be people who love like God and who love like his son. Amen? So here's the deal. Um, let's look at verse 4 because um, we're going to look at verses 4 through 6 and then we'll probably wrap it up. And as we, as we read this this morning... Uh, do me a favor, let me read it, and you guys just close your eyes and let this wash over you, because this is really what we're called to, okay? Yeah, just let it wash over you, because this is like a really good word. Love is patient, and love is kind. It does not envy, and it does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Let's read this again. Just let it wash over you. And while you're letting it wash over you, uh, just let it, uh, let it find the stony part in your heart. Because here's the deal. This is what I found out this week when I was reading this. Uh, as I would read it, there would be, there, as I'm reading this description of love, every single time the stony part of my heart would, would really react to certain little phrases in here. Can we do that together? All right, let's just close our eyes. Let's let it wash over us and let it, let it affect the stony parts of our heart. This is what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy and it does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Okay, you can open your eyes. Did that bump into your heart in some places? Yeah, it's, it's here's the deal. Embrace it. Wherever it bumped into your heart, embrace it because it's what the Lord wants to, it's, what, it's where he wants to work next in your life. Um, and I'm just, I'm going to highlight three areas that it smacked me this week. And um, maybe you're like me, okay? And uh, we'll just go from there. 
And it's actually that first little phrase, it's love is patient. Um, maybe some of you all have a different, uh, a different translation. Anybody in the house have a different translation for love is patient? Anybody in the house have the translation that says love suffers long? Yeah. Love is long suffering. That's a little different than love is patient, isn't it? It's the same thing, but it's a little different, isn't it? Love suffers long. Uh, how, do, how do we translate that into Kentucky? Uh, love puts up with people. That's, that's what it really means. Love is long-suffering. Love suffers long. And I, I just, I'm, as I was just letting it bump around in my stony heart this week, uh, one of the things that, that I began to just feel from the Holy Spirit is, is, is how this is like the essence of who God is. God is the, he is the long-suffering, put-up-with-you kind of person. And, um, and one of the things I, I want to let us know this morning is, like when we're reading through the list of what love is, sometimes uh, we can feel, we read through that, and rather than being inspired or called up to something, we feel squashed down by the, just the sheer magnitude and the majesty of it. You know what I mean? And, um, and, and here's the deal. I want to take some of that off for us. Love is long-suffering. Love is kind doesn't seek its own, it doesn't keep records of wrongs. That kind of description of love, that's the kind of love that the Father has for you. We've all been loved in that way. And so that's the, it, to me, this first little bit here, it's the essence of who God is. He's the long-suffering, patient, put-up-with-you God. And, and the word for love right there is, is that Greek word agape. And, you know, a lot of us have heard this before, but the, the, wor- the word agape really means self-sacrificing, lay my life down for your benefit kind of love. You know, there's all kinds of love words in Greek. There's eros, which is kind of like, you know, romantic, sexual kind of love. And there's, you know, there's, there's several others. But the, the one that, that, that is most repeated in the New Testament church is, is this self-sacrificing kind of lay my life down for your benefit. And it's, it's the thing that the Lord wants to insert into our body told you guys about a month ago that I felt like last fall we encountered the power of God and this, this fall we're going to encounter the love of God. I don't know if y'all remember that. But that's where we're at. We're going to encounter the agape love of God, the, self, the self-sacrificing, lay my life down for your benefit, majesty of who Jesus is. And it's, it's what he wants to insert into, into, our, into, our, into, our, into our body right here. Another little place that bumped my stony heart this week as I was reading was, was this description of love. It keeps no records of wrongs. I bet that one hit most of us in here. Yeah, what, it, what does it mean to keep a record of wrongs? This is literally the picture I got while, while I'm just meditating. I got a picture of an accountant who keeps his, keeps his books and just, you know, you know, adding to it. And he's just keeping everything right. The decimals are all lining up, all the money. And that's, that's really the picture that's being painted here. Love keeps no account of wrongs. And uh, why would a person keep account of wrongs? Why? To get even. That's right, because it's fuel for the fire, baby. I write it down. I keep it hidden. I, I keep it secret. I don't tell you about it. And then one day I blow up on you and I pull my list out and I say, you rat, this is what you've been to me. Yeah, we keep records of wrongs because we, we want to feel justified about something. We want to feel justified when we punch somebody in the nose. 
We want to punch them in the nose, and then we, want to, then we want to take our own guilt off by saying, well, you know, you deserved it. Keeps no record of wrongs. When I think about that verse, I just think about my wife, because I've been a huge, beastly animal in my life, you know, and we've been married for 10 years. And for whatever reason, at the end of the day, Heather and I still climb into the same bed. I don't get it, you know, <laughs> except... Love is long-suffering, and it doesn't keep records of wrongs. If, if she kept records of wrongs, I'm done, okay? Bottom line, I'm done. I'm toast. She'd kick me out of the White Castle. That's my new name for our house, by the way. It's the White Castle. let's look at verse 7, the always part. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's a hard one to swallow, isn't it? Always protects, always trusts. Holy smokes. Here's, here's the essence of that. This kind of love that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres, the essence of this kind of love is it's vulnerable love. It means, it means I put myself out there, you wound me, and then I put myself out there again. And you wound me. And I put myself out there again. And I don't even flinch when you wound me. That's what it's really about. I put myself out there, you wound me. I put myself out there, and I, and I never build a, like a flinch motion from your wounding on me. Always, especially always trusts. You know, you, you live life with people, especially in the house here. If you live life with people, we're going to bump into each other and we're going to wound one another. And so it's easy to say, well, I'm just, you're dead to me. I'm done, you know, just sit on the other side of the room and I'll sit over here and we'll, we'll go on and I'll never trust you another day in my life. I'm done with you. You know, it's easy to live like that. And, and that's really not the kind of love that's agape, lay my life down so that you can have a benefit kind of love. That kind of love is always trusting. It's vulnerable. It, it's, it gets wounded and then says, well, I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live from Jesus' kind of forgiveness. I'm going to lay my life down, and I won't even flinch when you wound me again, and I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to continue to lay my life down so that you can have a benefit. Yeah, this is, this is the kind of love that we've been loved with. You know, another, another little phrase that's... that's uh, out of 1 John, you know, he, you know, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Here's the deal. Like, it, it's all possible because we've received something from Jesus. It's that kingdom breathing thing we were talking about. You receive something. You didn't just receive from Jesus forgiveness of sin. You didn't just get Holy Spirit gifts to benefit others. You, you, you got the kind of love inserted into your DNA that makes it possible for you to forgive and not flinch. You think, well, that can't do it. I can't always protect. I can't always trust. I can't always hope. And I can't always persevere. I'm just a human. No, it's baloney. You actually can because you've met the Lord and the womb of heaven has been opened over you. And you love him because he first loved you. There's something about it. See, love doesn't come from you. It's a response to the love you already got, you know. It's, it's, it's that you tasted something. And when you tasted it, it made you alive on the inside. And so if you're a person who's become alive on the inside because you put some of Jesus' love in your mouth, then you are the kind of person who can respond to someone else and say, I'll always protect you, I'll always trust you, I'll always hope for you, and I'll always persevere, and I won't flinch. 
It's possible. I, you know, the first thing the devil wants to do is make you believe that it's not possible. You know? Oh, I'm just a miserable sinner. You're not a miserable sinner. You're a new creation. Something happened. The womb of heaven was opened up. The zipper, you fell out. And when you came through, you changed. Somehow I haven't said sperm meets egg yet, but we're working on it. I resisted it three times today. I resisted it. I was like, I'm going there, but I won't do it. Because Andrea and Heather will tell me about it. But you're changed. Your DNA changed. When you met the Lord, your DNA changed. You didn't become, you, you became somebody different than just a vindictive, keeping score, punch them in the nose kind of person. Something in your life changed. And, and that's the roots, that's the roots of, of the kind of ministry that Jesus wants to partner with on us. Yeah, you want to see prophetic ministry really hit the spot? Like, Get up in front of everybody and like the, begin to love and have some compassion for the person you're about to give a word to. I found it changes everything. Cliff and I were talking about this. If you can't get a word for somebody, just try to get the Lord's heart for them. Get a sense of compassion for them. And the next thing you know, the gift of ministry will flow through it. That, that was a free nugget. That actually wasn't even in the notes. That was just a free nugget. Yeah, this is the kind of love that we've been loved with. I've also been thinking of this scripture this week. It's Romans chapter 5. It's verses 6 through 8. You don't have to turn there. Just, just listen with me. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. This is the kind of love that we've been loved with. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will, some, will anyone die for a righteous man, though uh, for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's been this thing that's just been resounding in my head. This is the kind of love that, we were, that we've been loved with. And, and um, uh, I, I love what verse 6 says. You see, at just the right time. When was the right time? The right time was when we were still pow powerless, and while we were still sinners, and we were enemies of God. When everybody on the whole planet was an enemy of God, the Father looked at the Son and says, I think it's time. Everyone hates us. Let's go. You know, that's the kind of love that we've been loved with. We're still powerless. Like when you're weak, like I, I, I just, I'm becoming more and more aware of this. Like God is not offended by my weakness. He won't, he won't stay away from me because I'm a weak person. He actually will draw near to me if I'll just draw near to him. When was the right time? The right time was when we were still powerless, while we were still gripped with sin we were so gripped with sin that we didn't even like God. He could come in the room. We wouldn't even like him. And he would still come. Yeah, that's the kind of love we've been loved with. One more thing and then we'll be done. I, I just want to say one more thing about this verse. For all of us in the room, that God's kind of love is a demonstration. And it's, and it's an action. And it's empathetic. And it's not sympathetic. It's action-oriented. Uh, you know, one of the things, one of the pictures you won't find in the Gospels in the life of Jesus, you'll never see this. You'll never see somebody come up and fall at, at Jesus' feet on their hands and knees and say, Oh, Jesus, I need you, I need you. And him go, Ah, oh, tough luck, get out of here. You don't ever see that. Quite naturally, Jesus is God's son, he's loving, he's gentle Jesus, he's meek and mild, he can't do that. So you don't ever see that. But then here's the other thing you never see either. You never see somebody come and fall at Jesus' feet and Jesus be like, man, I feel bad about that. 
silence. You, you never see him do that. Like when someone comes to the Lord, he goes, man, I feel awful about that. We, we just got to change it. Get up and go home. You'll be well. See, Jesus' kind of love is action-oriented, and it's empathetic, and it's not sympathetic. It's, it's, it, gets in, it gets in bed with the person who's just beat up and lost, and he says, man, we've got to make this thing right. There was one time that, that a woman came to Jesus. She said, hey, Jesus, my daughter's infested with demons. You've got to do something about it. And he says, well, you know, we don't take the children's bread and give it to dogs. Kind of sounds like he was going to you know, kick her in the head. And she says, yeah, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And he says, well, for such an answer, you got what you wanted. Go home. She's well, you know. Even when it isn't Jesus' intention to heal the sick and give the person what they want, he still does it. Why? Because he he's crazy about people. And he's not the kind of person who will leave you hanging. Yeah, there's, I just, one of the things I felt like this week was there's a lot of people in the room who feel like, man, I've been hanging out here on the edge. I've got this issue, this thing. It keeps getting bigger. It's the monster in my closet. And I feel like there's some people in the room who, who feel like, well, I know about the monster in the closet. And like two of my neighbors know about the monster that lives in my closet. And presumably Jesus knows about the monster in my closet, but Jesus doesn't care. And I just want to tell you, Jesus does care. He knows about the monster in your closet, and he's more than willing to get involved. Let's just keep asking him. If he delays, it's not because he doesn't want to. There's no place in the scripture where you can find Jesus sending someone away empty-handed. There's something about us that says, Jesus, there's a monster in my closet. Until you come and fix it, I'm going to keep knocking on the door for you. You know? Like, my family's totally whacked, Jesus. We don't talk anymore. That's, you know, it's not okay, and or, you know, my body's completely sick. My kid is freaking out. You know, my, my kids are going bonkers. They don't even love the Lord anymore. They're all alcoholic, drug-addicted, sex-infused devils. <laughs> that was a little dramatic. <laughs> but even if that's you, man, Jesus knows about it. Cry out about it. Because he's the kind of guy that at just the right time, when, when you were a, you know, a, a drug addict, sex-infused alcoholic, he looked at you and said, ah, that's my friend, let's go. That's the kind of love we've been loved with. <clears throat> I just feel like the Lord wants to do stuff. Is that okay? I feel like he just really wants to do stuff. The big picture stuff that I know he wants to do is he wants, uh, he wants this church's reputation to be known uh, not for just uh, the tunes that we make or the record deals that we sign or the places that we go or the, or the prophetic words that we give, but he wants this house to be known for love. And he wants us to be known for love just as much as we're known for any, any other thing. And, um, but uh, that's, that's sort of the big picture thing. That's the thing that takes weeks, months, years for us to submit and find him doing that. But um, just today, I just feel like the Lord wants to touch the house with his love. Is that okay? And um, if you're on the ministry team, come on up this morning. We're not going to give words this morning. We're just going to give people a chance to respond. I just feel like there's a lot of people in the room that need to respond and say, God, I need 
your love this morning, if that's okay. Um, I just one of the things I feel like the Lord wants to do this morning is He wants to touch everybody in the house who would uh, who would allow themselves to be touched. I just feel like the Lord wants to touch everybody in the house who would allow themselves to be touched with His kindness and His mercy and His love. I feel like the Lord wants to communicate all over again to us just His great affection for us. And um, so I'm gonna if you if you want to just go ahead and stand. I'm gonna pray and. We've got, a, uh, we've got a ministry team up here that wants to minister God's affections and love to you. I feel like that's, that's one thing he wants to do here too. Uh, the other thing I feel like he wants to do is I feel like God wants to mend broken fences. Like broken fences in our families. Uh, I feel like the Lord wants to mend broken fences in, our, in this house. Like, like just relationships that are within the purple walls that are broken and, and need uh, the love of God to touch again. I feel like the Lord wants to mend that this morning. I feel like this is a time right now where we can get it right you know and uh, can we do family time again can we do that okay we're gonna do time out family time okay so we're in family if you're new here this you know this is family time yeah um just because i'm a pastor of this church you know you meet people and you know you share life together and i i, I just value that i think that's what we all are called to but uh some of you guys know like the proverbial poop hit the proverbial fan this week in so many people's lives and uh, we just have like marriages that are under attack here at this house we have uh, we just have all kinds of situations that are, that are going on and it would be um, we're not into manipulation I don't, I don't want to be that kind of person but it would be unwise for us to pretend like these things aren't happening and that I'm okay and so uh, I just want to say that this morning that the love of God is here to, bend, to, to mend and repair and so if you're, if you're one of these people whose marriage is on the rocks or who has relationships that are completely out of balance or, or you know, a hundred other things that I'm completely unaware of because you and I haven't had lunch yet. If, you, if you've got some stuff going on in your life and, and this is not the Sunday morning to pretend like everything's great, if you can hear that. Is that cool? This is a Sunday morning to really uh, experience uh, the presence of God if we can. And so uh, what I would like to do is... Uh, Hey, Hannah, why don't you just, you and most of the band come up, and let's just, let's just set the room to meet with God. I just feel like we, this is, this is a time to meet with the Lord. Um, when we get together, it's about really serving one another, and it's about meeting with God, and the worst thing that could happen is for us to go home and just miss what the Lord wants to do. So uh, why don't we do this? Why don't we just uh, put your hands out in front of you. Let's just close our eyes and let's, let's ask the Lord to begin to touch us. Uh, the Lord wants to, to affirm to everyone in the room his affections for them, even right now. And then there's just some other issues, just family issues that the Lord wants to begin to deal with this morning. And he doesn't, he doesn't even want it to go into Monday. He wants to just say, I want to I work with you on that today. So Father, we just, we're not ashamed to say that we're needy people, God. Uh, we do a pretty good job of looking strong at times God we're great fakers uh, we can be liars uh, we, we can lie to ourselves and to you and Father we just we don't want to do that this morning Father we're not really here to like wallow in our weakness but God we're here to, to let your Holy Spirit drop on us and begin to mend things that can't be fixed any other way than your presence and so Father we just ask that 
your great love and your great affection would begin to touch every body in the room, every heart and every mind. God, would you, would you begin to affect every, every person here? And Father, would you allow, uh, would you allow us to just have the decent sense to meet you this morning? So here's what I want to do. Uh, this is just old school Baptist stuff here. It's really great. The altar is open and the Lord wants to meet with you. We've got a ministry team over here who wants to meet with you. And if you're, if you're a person who, who knows for sure, I, I need to, to experience the love of God this morning. I want you to come on forward. If you're a person who, who is walking in some brokenness and needs Jesus to partner with you, then I need you to come forward as well. This is the time to meet with Jesus.